Welcome to Wonder in Reality. Jesus Christ is alive and He's the Lord God Almighty. Amen. And this is Easter weekend. This is a special message. And I want to welcome Teacher Jeff Adams to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff, for, for teaching today. My pleasure being here. Um, and uh, Jeff is, has been on the podcast before. And he is a regional director of Operation Exodus, which assists Jewish people returning to their homeland. And he's been very involved in Messianic Passovers for a, a number of years. He's been to Israel several times. And mainly, the, one of the main things is Jeff is anointed, in addition to being a great teacher and really understanding you know, have a has a deep understanding of the Bible, messianic prophecy related to the feast, and also related to you know Easter and and to the Christmas season. Jeff, can you pray for the listeners um, right now? Absolutely, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today. This being Resurrection Weekend, and we thank you. Jesus, for what you did, the sacrifice that you made. Amen. And Lord, as we share uh, this day, we pray that you would anoint our ears to hear. Give us ears to hear your your truth and your word. And we just, we pray for the world and what's going on with war. And, and Father, I pray that I know that people are looking, they're looking for answers. And Lord, we know the answer is you. Amen. And Amen. We pray in the name of Jesus that you uh, touch those that are down and discouraged and those that are maybe questioning their faith. Yes, and we pray that what will be spoken today will, will change some hearts and illuminate uh, spirits to where we know who you are even in a deeper way. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. And, and uh, so... I'm I myself am really looking forward to Jeff's teaching today. I always learn new things and and basically Jeff is is going to present well I want to let you just get into it Jeff. Can you discuss you know you know we're going to focus of course on the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and related to messianic prophecy in the Old Testament and also, um, you know, the Passover Seder and related to, you just mentioned uh, before we started this broadcast about how, about, you know, communion and things like that. I want to just let you get into the teaching, Jeff. Okay. All right. So this is one of my favorite of all of the feasts. And, you know, you may ask, Jeff, why in the world should we celebrate uh, Old Testament feast. You know, we're Christians. We, we live in the New Testament. Well, did you know that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8, let us, Paul is telling a bunch of non-Jewish Christians, the, the Corinthians, and he tells them, let us continue to celebrate the feasts. So this is not just an Old Testament thing. 
Uh, now, it's not a Levit Levitical mandate like it was in the Old Testament, uh, but we, we don't have to celebrate the Passover, but we get to. And I've been teaching this for 35 years, Passover Seders, and I learned something it looks seems like every year, hmm. and it strengthens my faith tremendously because it's, uh, uh, one of the things about when you start getting into the feast, you see all of the symbolisms that were put into the Bible, into the Word of God, about Jesus being the Messiah well before he came. Mm. There's so many prophetic uh, uh, scriptures and prophecies that, that took place, and a lot of these prophecies and a lot of these symbols are right here in the feast. So we really need to, to study the feast, and we need to participate in them, and we'll it'll strengthen our faith tremendously. I, I, I like to uh, invite people that are questioning their faith. Maybe they maybe they were they grew up a Christian but have just been doubting their faith and thinking, man, you know, Christianity may not be the only way. Maybe there, there are several ways. Maybe Christianity is not the way at all. And so when I take them through the, the, the feast and the, the, the Messianic prophecies, uh, it really rests any doubt that a person has because Christianity is the only religion that has prophecies about it that it that was fulfilled, um, uh, and no other no other religion does this. Uh, Islam does not. Uh, Hinduism, none of them. Buddhism, none of them have will have all of the messianic prophecies that were hidden in the Bible. Now, if it was all what we had, what we talked about earlier, Jim, if, if they were all if all the messianic prophecies were in one chapter, then you would have. Thousands of people running around saying that I'm the Messiah because I'm fulfilling all of these 40, 50, 60, 70 prophecies. So God hid them all in the Bible. And then when the Bible was, you know, when it, when it, when it was completed and when people started seeing, my goodness, well, look at this prophecy. Look at that prophecy. And these were written several thousand years ago that you realize, ah, gracious sakes, this is, this is the real deal. This is, this is. This is not a fake, and this is not put on. For example, mm -hmm. uh, if you ever want to read the story of the crucifixion, read Psalm 22. Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross. And do you know how it starts out? The first words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mm. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus said on the cross. And the reason why he said it was, I am fulfilling Psalm 22, because it talks about they're casting lots for my garments. You know, they, I mean, everything. It's, it talks about, it's an incredible depiction of the crucifixion. Mm. And, you know, you look at other places, uh, Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Mm. Another incredible, incredible messianic prophecy. But you know, the very first messianic prophecy came in the book of Genesis. And in fact, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, uh, it was a prophecy. God is speaking to the serpent at, just after Adam and Eve had fallen in sin. And he gives a prophecy. The, the Lord gives a prophecy to the serpent. And he says, all right, uh, Satan, this is what's going to happen. Uh, there's going to be a seed that's going to come from the woman because at this point there had been only Adam and Eve on, on the earth. But he said there's going to be a seed that's going to come from the woman, and he, this this seed is going to crush your head, but you're going to bruise his heel. 
All right, so we know that that is talking about Jesus, Mm. all right, because he came and because of the works, he destroyed the works of death, hell, and the grave. And as you know, the final work of Jesus, when the the devil is going to be thrown in the lake of fire, his head is going to be crushed, and and that's going to be the end of it. Okay, but during the crucifixion, how a person dies is by suffocation. And so what they would do is they would... You know, they they have their the nails in their hands and their feet, and they they would push up because they were suffocating, and they would push up uh, on with their heel on the nail, and by doing that, their their heel would be bruised. Mm. So the very first messianic prophecy was fulfilled all the way back to Genesis. Wow. And so that's what started it all. And then when you now, go can, through... Jeff, can go I ahead, just... Go ahead, Jim. Can I, yeah, thank you, Jeff. That is powerful. Can you just summarize that again about bruising the heel and... and because... Yes, absolutely. So that's the way people people died, is by, by suffocation, by um, crucifixion. Another thing about the crucifixion, as we see pictures and we see movies, we see them hoisted up about 10 to 12 feet, right? Mm-hmm. That's not the way, and it was... Jesus was not uh, crucified on a hill far away, unlike the wonderful, beautiful hymn that we've seen. He was actually crucified on a sidewalk, and he was not hoisted 10 feet up like everybody thinks. In fact, he was almost eye-to-eye with the people that came by. Mm. And they did that so they could see, everybody could see the excruciating pain that was on his face when people were crucified. And they wanted to make a, a public spectacle. That's why they did crucifixions. And it was just so difficult for family members and friends to see their loved one be crucified, and you're like almost eye to eye with them. And so, uh, mm. so, but um, so as they would do this, you know, they would they would put the nails in them, and it was so hard for them to breathe that they would have to just push up from from their heel to get a big gasp of breath. Mm. Uh, and so, but but by doing that, and all the weight of their body being on the heel, it would cause their heels to be bruised. And so that prophecy was fulfilled right then. That's amazing. I have not, I mean, I'm honestly have have not heard that, and that is really powerful because it's specific, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. and so that's, that's a, man, that's amazing. Yeah. So there are so many things that went on, um, uh, and of course, Leviticus, Chapter 23 gives so many of the uh, of the appointed times. It gives uh, the feasts that we're to celebrate. The interesting thing about that word, these are the appointed times of the Lord when he's talking about the feast. That word is moedim, which means appointments. So we all have appointments with the Lord mm. on, on uh, feast days, believe it or not. I mean, this is, think about it if we had a, a very, very serious, very rare disease. There was only one doctor in the world that could see us, and his, you know, he, it took like a year to get in to see him. Would we cancel our appointments? Absolutely not. Well, here's the thing. God has specifically said, these are times when you can come to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We know that. But there are times that I have called you. I have an appointment with you, and these are all through the feast day. So I encourage everybody you take some time out this weekend and spend some alone time with God and just have your pen and paper ready because God can download some things to you. That's, in fact, a lot of prophets will say they get most of their information 
from for the for the year on feast days hmm. because they they show up with pen and paper and God just you know gives them such incredible insight. But so here's some here's the Passover observance. Here's the messianic significance. So a lamb had to be without blemish during the whole Passover. In fact, there was a group of of, uh, of shepherds that raised. The, past, the Passover and the sacrificial lambs. They were called the Magdal Adir, the great distance, Micah 4.8. And they were right outside of Bethlehem. What was that scripture again? Micah 4.8. Micah 4.8. Yep, it's called the Tower of the Flock. Um, in fact, it's interesting they call it the Tower of the Flock because uh, another crazy thing, we've been taught that Jesus was born in a stable with, with been taught that he was born, you know, and when you go to Bethlehem, they'll tell you, yeah, he was born in this cave. Actually, Jesus was not born in a cave. He was born in, uh, it's, it's, a, it's really interesting. It's a big tower, but it looks like a silo. And uh, at the very bottom of it, the reason why they would have this is this was the tower of the flock. The shepherds would go and it would be, a, sometimes it'd be eight to 10 stories high. It could be eight, 80 to 100 feet. And they would do that climb up there to look for coyotes and wolves and things that can get the, the, the sheep. And so that's why they would have this, have this flock. So they would, they would watch over their flock, believe it or not, from this big silo. Hmm. And uh, at the bottom of the silo was a uh, holding place where uh, they would actually take lambs or take sheep that were about to give birth and they would bring them in and they would it have... This this bottom area would be it would be immaculate. It would have hay and some things to keep everything clean uh, and, and sanitary. But um, this is where lambs were born. They weren't necessarily born out on the field. When the when the a, a shepherd would see that a lamb was, was about to be born, they would bring it into this bottom floor of the tower, and then they would watch to make sure that it. It, you know, there wasn't uh, it wasn't called or whatever they had. If they needed to help with the, uh, the uh, with birth, they would certainly do so. And then this, this lambs had to be completely unblemished. It had, could not have a blemish because this was all a type and shadow of what was to come. Hmm. And so when when these uh, lambs were born, you know, they were obviously the the, the male, the female sheep, the mother would be there and, and cured for it the first few weeks and then they could you know take it outside of the of the tower and let it graze and, and run around some but so that's the McDonald's deer were the sheep I mean they were the shepherds that would watch the sheep and they, that's what they did so when the angel came to announce the birth of Jesus they didn't appear to just any shepherds they came to the McDonald's deer and said you guys have been raising uh, sacrificial lambs come with me and we're going to show you the lamb of God so they came and they they you know from all over the area of Bethlehem, and they came to uh, the place where Jesus was, mm. uh, and so that's so that's so it had to be without blemish. Well, Jesus was examined and found to be without blemish. Uh, also, when he was when he went before the uh, the Sanhedrin, mm. they they examined him. Matthew twenty one, Matthew twenty seven. There's just Luke three, John eleven. All of these talk about that Jesus was examined. It had to be a male of the first year. Okay, Jesus was the firstborn son of God. And uh, a third one is, a lamb was set aside for four days on the 10th month of Nisan. Jesus entered Jerusalem and the temple on the 
public display for four days on the 10th of Nissan. Mm. You see all these things? Nobody could have pre- 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 uh, predicted this. Nobody could have planned this except for the Lord himself. The penalty imposed was on the moment the lamb was chosen. Christ received the death penalty for our sin uh, before he was even born. Now, here's something else to, to consider. You know, there's laws of nature and there are spiritual, spiritual laws that take place. One of them is the law, one of the spiritual laws is the law of sin and death. And there must be a sacrifice for sin. They're just absolutely, God put that in, in play and there must be a sacrifice. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is where, why Jesus came to earth was to be that sacrificial lamb for us that he would take our sins. And all, all the years before that, they had actual lambs. And this was all a type and shadow of the real thing. And so, uh, so what was just so interesting about this also was the lambs were killed uh, at 3 o'clock p.m. Jesus died in the seventh hour, 3 o'clock p.m. He said, it is finished. Mm. Amazing. The, the lamb's bones were not broken. We see in Psalm 34 and even John 1911, Jesus' bones were not broken. Mm. The blood of the lamb applied to the door saved the Israelites firstborn. The blood of Christ saves us. The body of the lamb must be eaten that same night. Jesus was crucified, suffered, and died that same night. Mm. No work is to be done on Passover. The Israelites could not save themselves, even if they should uh, have spent all the night in prayer and destroying the destroying angel would have broken broken in upon them and slain their firstborn if there was not blood on the door. Now, well, obviously, we know the blood of Jesus saves us, not only from our works. So, you know, there's just so many incredible, incredible things uh, like this that just that just really amaze me. So, on the day of Passover, uh, if you read in the Gospels, it says Jesus told Peter and John to go prepare the Passover seder. Well, that was an all-day job, and because uh, they had to go get the bitter herbs, they had to go get the the, uh, the green, the vegetables, they had to to make uh, this product, this, this thing called haroset, which is a very sweet and uh, uh, sugary, spicy uh, animal, uh, a- apple mixture. And uh, all of this is part of this, the Passover Seder, and you can read this you know, in, in the books of, uh, of Exodus and Leviticus, how to do this, how okay. to make this. But, Exodus but, and uh, Leviticus. Okay. So, uh, so, they would, so they also had to go get the lamb, they had to get the wine, and the had to do all of these things. So when they they got all this, they brought it brought it back, and also realized it would be an extra six hundred thousand people that had to come in from outside of Israel just for the Passover because it was required by the, by the Jewish people. You have to be in Israel the Passover. There were three times that they had to be there, and Passover was one of them. So they made this journey, and so as they were. Think about this. You can just, if you're kind of on the hill in Jerusalem and you see these hundreds of thousands of people that are coming into Jerusalem, that are coming into Israel to stay for, you know, for Passover for several days. And so what would take place is families would go out and they would look for families, people that needed a place to stay. And they would look and maybe they're, maybe if, if the family, the, the welcoming, the hosting family would have a couple of kids and say, look, there's a family coming and they have a couple of kids about our age. Let's ask them if they want to stay with us. So they would go and say, hey, come stay with us. We'd be honored. And so the, the traveling 
guests would actually come with with gifts, and they would they, you couldn't you couldn't charge rent because that was against the the, the laws of Passover. You just you had to let them stay there. But so these people would develop such great friendships uh, from these people, and they had to get a lamb. And this is the sad thing: if they had to get a, this a baby lamb that just is the most innocent looking thing in the world. And they, it was like a pet for the first week or so, which took 14 days. And they would, uh, and so it was really difficult, especially for the kids when they, when they, the parent finally said, we have, we're going to have to sacrifice this, this lamb. You know, that was difficult. But you know what? It's a, it's a, it, it should feel that, that they needed to feel it. We need to feel when there's a sacrifice for our sin, right? So they would sacrifice this innocent little lamb and, um, you know, that's why this, you know, John said, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Mm. This was all a type and shadow of what was to come. Mm. And uh, so an- another interesting thing about it in the Bible, when it says, you know, these are appointed times of Moedim, it, it also uses a word that means rehearsals. And so, and the Jewish people knew by reading the scriptures, they said, this is a rehearsal. Well, when we go to a wedding rehearsal, like say on a Friday night, what are we what are we rehearsing for? We're rehearsing for the wedding, right? For the real thing. So all of these think about this. All of these feasts are just rehearsals for the real thing. Mm. And so all of these thousands of years, the Jewish people would celebrate Passover, and this was a rehearsal for the real thing, which was Jesus being mm. crucified on the cross. Amen. So there's that type of, these symbolisms just go on and on and on and on, which just always amazes me when I, when I, you know, see and hear this. And, and um, so, uh, you know, there's some other interesting things um, about it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem is actually Bethlehem, which means house of bread in Hebrew. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Mm. Why, did he, why did he say he's the bread of life? Because he was born in Bethlehem. Amen. Okay. So, uh, I just, you know, I could just go on and on and on about some of these. Yes, Jeff. Uh, this... Some of these things. But I guess what, what the, one of the main ones, during the beginning of the service, the Passover Seder, uh, you know, they have four glasses of wine. And they have the matzah. The matzah is a flat cracker. Uh, it's, uh, it does not have leaven because leaven causes bread to rise. Well, they didn't have time for that in the, in the desert, so they had to just um, they had to be ready at the moment's notice to leave. So they had, they could not use leaven because it took longer uh, to bake. Well, when you look at uh, unleavened bread, and we use for the, for the most part crackers today, it's a certain type of cracker. You'll notice that back then it was looked like pita bread. It was softer. It wasn't crunchy like our crackers today. But when you look at matzo crackers, it is striped and pierced. Isn't that interesting? So they would put the they would put the the bread on the over the flame, and they had to they had to poke it, had to put holes in it to keep it from bubbling under the flame. So when you when it's laying on a grill and you you've got the, the holes being poked in it, it makes it strike and pierce. Well, so is Jesus' body. Mm. And and this is called, so what they would do, they would take, at the very beginning, 
uh, and this still takes place today in Passovers, whether it's Christian or Jewish, it doesn't matter. They would take this matzah cracker, or not matzah bread, and they wrap it in a linen cloth. Well, what else was wrapped in a linen cloth? <laughs> and they put it, they usually hide it, but it's and just like in a tomb that the body is hidden, right? So that's another incredible sign of this. And so they would hide it traditionally underneath the table or someplace. And so at the, at, as they got, got toward the, the first uh, glass of wine, everything is representation. is a cup of uh, sanctification. In it. And then the cup of plagues was the second one because they want to, you know, talk about all the plagues that took place during the original Passover. Uh, and then the cup, third cup was called, called the cup of, of redemption. And this is where uh, we get our communion from, was this part of the Passover Seder. So think about this. So Jesus go, reaches down and gets the afikomen and unwraps it and says, this is me, this is my body. Mm. I don't think that the, the disciples really un, uh, understood at that time when he was saying, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me because I am the Afikoman. Now, Afikoman, if you were to ask a Jewish person today, they'll tell you exactly what the Afikoman is. It, it, mean, it's, it, it means dessert, but also it's a Greek word, and it means, get this, I came. Wow. So even to this day, they unwrap the Afikoman, and they... And everybody takes a piece. And that night, Jesus gave it to all of the disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me. And what Jesus was saying was, as often as you come to this part of the Passover Seder, do this in remembrance of me because I'm fulfilling this Afikoman. This is me. Wow. And then he takes the third cup, which is the cup of redemption, and says, as often as you come to this part, I'm going to spill my blood for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they drank that. Did they know that he was talking about literally that was going to be his body and it's symbolic of everything that was taking place? I don't think so. I don't think it was until later that they realized, oh, this is what Jesus meant when he said, this is my body. Mm. And it's wrapped in the linen cloth. Oh, I get it. I get it now. He told us. He told us. I get chills just talking about this even now. He told us this was going to happen. He told us. And yet we didn't, we didn't understand it, but we do now. So, so they finish this and they get to the fourth part, which is the cup of praise. Okay, so they have their cups ready to drink the wine. And Jesus says, okay, guys, put your glasses down, your cups down. And but Jesus has his cup and he says, follow me. Where are we going, Jesus? You'll take Just follow me. So they leave and the cup, this is called the cup of praise. And during the word, the going was the garden of Gethsemane. All right. Um, and with, are, are you still there? Yes, yes. If you can just make sure the speaker, everything's clear. Yeah, okay. So they, were, they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane and they were singing praise songs because singing praise songs is all part of the fourth cup, hmm. the cup of praise. All right, but they get there. Jesus still has his cup in his hand of the wine. And when the disciples ask, but when they're leaving, well, should we take our cups of wine with us, Jesus said no. We'll find out in a few minutes why he said no. So they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, they're talking, they're singing, they're praying, and then all of a sudden, the disciples fall asleep. You can see this from the story. And that's when Jesus said, could you not tarry 
carry one hour with me? Could you wait an hour before you went to sleep? But they had had a full meal. They had glasses of wine, so they were very relaxed, and they fell asleep. Well, now we find out why the disciples couldn't take their cup with them. And this is the only time this happened, but the cup of praise that Jesus was holding transformed into a cup of suffering. Mm. And that's why he said, Father, take this cup from me. Take this cup of suffering from me because nobody would want to go through what, you know, what I'm destined to go through. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, Lord. Mm. So he takes the cup and he agonizes over it and he drinks it because he knows that that is what opens up all of the suffering that he is about to take place. So that's the reason why that he told the disciples, don't bring your cups with you. Wow. Because only he could take that and drink the cup of suffering for us. Wow. And so when, okay, this is really powerful. So when Jesus said, take this cup from me, he was speaking about, can you just, again, repeat that? He was speaking yes. about... So he still had the cup of praise, which at this time had transformed into the cup of suffering. And these cups were part of the Passover. Yes, yes. This was the last cup. The fourth cup was uh, the cup of praise. So he was still holding that. So it had transformed into the cup of suffering, mm. and he just said, take this from me, if it's any way possible, because nobody wants to go through what... I'm just going to go through, and, and I, I don't either, but I'm going to do it if you say so, Father, and, and it was God's will wow. for him to do that. And so he he drank it, and all of a sudden that opened the door to everything that was about to happen. You know, he was arrested, as we know. Jesus was sold, you know, he was sold into, uh, for 30 pieces of silver. Well, that's another, did you know that's a prophecy in the Old Testament, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver? Mm. I mean, even, again, so several hundred years before Jesus came, here is this prophecy that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. So it's just all in the Bible, all these Messianic prophecies. So, you know, we, we know what happened after that. Uh, you know, he was crucified, and it was just such a, such a horrific thing uh, to witness any kind of a crucifixion. But, you know, one of the reasons why I, one of my, I guess, callings or passions is to educate the church on its role with Israel and the Jewish people. Because it, uh, when God called the Jewish people, he gave them a fourfold calling. And this is why the, the church doesn't understand this for the most part. Um, but the first one is uh, the, the call, first of the fourfold calling of the Jewish people is they were to be the custodians and birthing mother of the oracles of God. The Jewish people gave us the Bible. We thank God for that. They did a great job. Mm -hmm. The second of their fourfold calling is they were to be the custodians and birthing mother of world redemption. They gave us Jesus. Mm. The third of their fourfold calling is they are to be a vehicle in which God would bless the world. Did you know that more scientific discoveries, medical discoveries, um, all discoveries that we even, that affect us on a daily basis, so a very large percentage of these came from the Jewish people. Uh, this, is a, this is a people group that represent a fourth of, one 
were Jewish. Wow. You look at all of their contributions, it is so obvious that that promise in Genesis 3 uh, came to fruition, that you will be a vehicle in which I will bless the world. And all these scientific discoveries came from them. Even, even people that want to destroy the Jewish people in Israel use their products on a daily basis. One is, is what we're talking on right now, cell phones. This was a Jewish invention. Wow. And yet people used, used their inventions to try to destroy them. So, so amazing. But the fourth one is the one that trips up a lot of people. And the fourth of their of the fourfold calling is God called the Jewish people with a priestly calling. They had a priestly calling. What was their what job does the priest do? One of the jobs they make the sacrificial. Uh, sacri- they make, they make the, the sacrificial offerings. Correct. That's what the priests would do. They'd go in and they'd make the sac- sacrificial offerings of the lambs, and so. And in their ignorance, not knowing what they were doing, they killed Jesus. They sure did. But thank God they did. But you see, they were in their ignorance. They were fulfilling their priestly calling to do so. So uh, that's one that I think is, if we understand that, we will we will thank the Jewish people for all of, all of they've done, their fourfold calling. Although that one was one that, because of their blindness, they did it in ignorance, but God honored it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because that was their calling. And so you think about that and, uh, you know, what, what they had to do. And, and then here, here comes Jesus. And so, uh, you know, so they, he was sacrificed and, you know, uh, he was in a tomb. And then I think one of the most amazing parts of the whole gospel, the whole uh, resurrection morning was the gospel of John. You can read it in John 20, verse 7, tells us that the napkin which was placed over the face of Jesus in the tomb, when he arose from the dead, it was, he was, it was not just thrown aside like the grave clothes were. Okay. I mean, think about the power that took place, you know, when he rose from the dead. And um, the Bible takes an entire verse to tell us that the napkin was neatly folded mm-hmm. in the tomb. Neatly folded? And I'm, I'm sure that thousands of people, millions of people read that, read that and think, why was it neatly folded? That doesn't make sense. And it was placed at the head of the stone coffin, the stony coffin. So early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Um, and, you know, they found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples and, and John. And they, she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. And I don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciples ran to the tomb to see. And the other disciples uh, ran, and Peter got there first. And they stooped and looked in, and the linen cloth was lying there. But he didn't go in. And then Simon, Simon Peter arrived and said, uh, and, 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 but he, once he arrived and they went inside, and he noticed that the linen wrappings were lying there while the cloth had been, that covered Jesus' head was folded up lying to the side. Why was that important? It has tremendous significance. In order to understand this, we have to go back uh, and look at some Hebrew tradition in that day. So the folded napkin had to do with the master and the servant of a banquet. 
Buddhist tradition. And uh, when the servant set the dinner table for the master, he made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted it. The table was furnished perfectly, that the servant would come and would, he would just wait just out of sight until the master had finished eating. And so when a person was, was uh, finished eating, what they would do is take their napkin, their linen napkin, they would wad it up and put it on their plate. And that was a sign to the servant, you can take my plate because I'm finished. But if you would take your, sometimes you needed to go talk with someone or needed to go do some other things, maybe relieve yourself, who knows what. But, but if you weren't finished with your meal, you would fold the napkin. And that was a sign to the servant. And it said, don't take my plate mm. because I'm coming back. Do you see this? <laughs> wow. So That's the servant awesome. would so so in those days the wadded napkin meant I'm done. But if the master got up from the table uh, with a folded napkin, what he was saying was, I'm coming back. Wow. So That's Jesus awesome. said to all the creations, and I get chill bumps every time I say this. He was saying to the entire creation, I'm coming back. Wow. Amen. Mm. That's, that is powerful. Now, specifically, can you say, well, there's actually, he's coming back. Can you just speak about that? Because he's coming back also in the future. He came back, he rose from the dead. Right. But he also is coming back again at the end time. Right. Right. So, Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus, so Jesus, when are you going to come back? You know, when, when's your return? And, uh, you know, he goes through, there'll be wars, rumors of wars, he goes through all of these things. Mm-hmm. But um, think about this. So another incredible ceremony, we, we've got to learn the Jewish ceremonies to see, to understand so much of the Bible. But the patrol ceremony is so important. Uh, because this is when uh, some marriages were arranged, as you know, back then. But whether they were or they were not, the betrothal ceremony still took place. And what took place? And what that was about was when a man, when a young man found a young woman he wanted to marry, he would tell his father, and it, and so they would, uh, the father would work out a deal with the father of the bride to be, and say, okay, you know, mom son wants to marry your daughter, let's work out a ketubah. A ketubah was a bride price. And it, sometimes it meant like 10 goats, 20 sheep, you know, some gold, whatever. They would just come up with something and they would agree on it. And then once it was done, uh, then what would take place is they would have the betrothal ceremony. There'd be a table. And with that table, there would be some bread and wine. And the bride and her family would be on one side of the table. The groom and his family would approach the table. And what he would do is he would say to um, the bride-to-be, said, you know, this is his way basically of, of saying, will you marry me? And uh, he would drink the, the wine and give it to her and say, this is this is my blood that I'm willing to spill for you. 
This is my this is my blood. He would take the bread given to her, and they would all eat. He said, "This is my body that I'm willing to this, to, to give for you." And so, if when the bride and her family would drink, that's when they would they basically said, "I will marry you." So, by offering the bread and wine, that's when the groom would say, "Will you marry me?" When the bride would partake, that's her way of saying, "Yes, I will." And then the groom says the following words: "Now I go to prepare a place for you, for in my Father's house are many rooms." Does that sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely, it does. So that what would take place is he would go off and he would start building rooms uh, onto his father's house. And the bride would go off into another town very close to where they lived, usually within just a few miles. But then she had to leave and she had to prepare herself. And there were women, there would be women there that would prepare her all about and mentor her basically of how to be a wife. And they would get her all dressed up and go through all these beauty treatments. And this took place for months, for a long time. And uh, so what would also take place is when this, when the son was finished with the room, uh, he, it, it, you know, he basically had to get his father's approval. Say it's just good enough. Well, if it was, if he had to build any, let's think of it from a young man's vantage point. If it had to be, uh, once you build a room, you can go get your wife, go get your bride. Let's face it, most young men would just put a lean-to up and go get, say, here it is, I, I built it, and spend about 30 minutes doing it, and then go get their, get their bride. But that's not the way it was supposed to be. They, it had to be beautiful. It had to be perfect. And then... Once it was done, the groom had no earthly idea when he could go get his bride. It was up to the father. Again, does this bring back this uh, scripture that says, Jesus, when are you coming out? And Jesus says, I don't know. Only my father knows. Mm, mm, mm. Okay? That's where that comes from. It comes from the betrothal ceremony. Wow. And so one, one night after everything was done, uh, and it had been months. The father would go and wake up his son in the middle of the night and say, son, you may go get your bride tonight. Well, can you imagine the joy, the joy unspeakable that this young man, as he is waking to say, you can go get your bride tonight. And now they knew the season. They knew that the season was going to, you know, they knew that it was going to be close. But they didn't know the day or the hour, okay? And so, uh, so he would go and he would come. And his brides or his groomsmen would be close. Sometimes they would be, they would even sleep in the same house as he did for the for several weeks because they knew that it was going to be close. He would go get his bridegroom, and they would get noisemakers, and they would get a trumpet or a shofar, and they knew the, the town that the, the, the bride was staying in. So they would go, and sometimes it would take an hour or two to get to it. And they would make all kind of noises in the middle of the night with noisemakers. And then you'd hear this, this blaring so far. And then they would 
they would yell, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Does that sound familiar? Yes. That's where it comes from. Jesus is, is going to match what the betrothal ceremony to a T. And so wow. he would go and he would get her. He would find the house and they would go and that, when they would make all the noises, the, the ten virgins, if you remember, they all had lamps. They had to have lamps enough to go out themselves to uh, you know, accommodate because they were, ten virgins were like the, the uh, bridesmaids. And so they would go out and meet and then the groom would steal the bride like a thief in the night, as it was called. That's where we get the term thief in the night from the betrothal ceremony. And we would go get his bride. Mm. Isn't that amazing? So when you, when you study Jewish uh, traditions, Jewish feasts and, and ceremonies, you say, oh, this is perhaps this is so much of the New Testament here. <laughs> so he would go and he would take her take her away and then consummate the wedding, consummate the, the marriage, and come back for the marriage supper of the Lamb, which was a huge celebration. Wonderful, wonderful, joyous celebration. And then they would have what's called the lifting up. Now, if you've ever seen, ever been to a do it wedding, you know that they will take the bride and groom and put them in chairs, right? Have you ever seen that? And they lift them up. It's called the lifting up. Why is that so significant? Even today, Jews will, this is part of their wedding ceremony. They put the bride in one chair and the groom in the other, and they lift them up. They hoist them up. Why is that significant? Because Jesus said, it, it says in the word that he will meet his bride in the air. Mm. So you see these incredible symbolisms. Yeah. That, yeah. And so when you hear this, you think, my gracious sakes, Lord, you have shown me in so many ways your plan of salvation and that Jesus is your son and he's the true Messiah. And it just makes us run closer to him. Amen. 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 Awesome. I did not realize that so much, so much about the traditions. Um, and... Jeff, thank you very much. This has been a fantastic teaching and a lot of new things that I have learned. Um, it's been my honor. Yes, and now, isn't it true that there's as many as more than 330 prophecies in the Old Testament, about, uh, messianic prophecies about Jesus Christ? That's correct. Okay, and... So recommended reading to the listeners is in Exodus. What chapter is it specifically? Is it? Leviticus 22, 23, Exodus 14, they talk about the feasts. Yeah. And of course, Genesis 3 is, is really good because that's where we read about, um, you know, uh, the whole prophecy to the serpent as well as, as the calling of the Jewish, uh, of, of, uh, the Jewish people being a, a vehicle which God would bless the world. Yes, okay. And then with tomorrow being Easter, okay, Jesus rose from the dead, and didn't He live, He was on the earth for, I think, what, 40 days? And, yep, yep. Yeah, and appeared to, um, really, really incredible. If, if 
there's a summary on the website jesusisalive.world if, if listeners want to go to that website. Mm. Um, it, it is just things that are it, from Scripture. Jesus, you know, appeared to many uh, and as many as 500 people at one, mm-hmm. 500 of his followers at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that, since those are some of the most famous events in all of history. But and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest miracle in human history. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you, Jeff. And can you just wrap up with a prayer for the listeners? Absolutely, uh, Father. We've we've heard your word today. We've heard your your redemption story. And Father, we thank you that we are alive today to witness such incredible things. Uh, We thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit for revealing Jesus as the Messiah and our sacrificial lamb to us. And for for those, if if you're listening and you're not sure if you are born again, you can just say the simple prayer, Father, in Jesus' name, I accept Jesus as my sacrificial lamb Mm. for me. That I may have eternal life and be in the family of God. If you accept Jesus as being your sacrificial lamb, for the Bible says in John uh, in uh, in John chapter three that whosoever believes with him, God so loved the world and gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Then you will be born again if you. Believe this and you follow Jesus, you will be a disciple of the Lord. Amen. So, Father, we pray that in Jesus' name for anybody that's listening, that salvation come to their home, even this day, as they reach out to Jesus, the Passover Lamb. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. And thank you again, Jeff. Very, very powerful teaching. Um, please, please visit wonderreality.org for to learn more. And um, thank you very much for following this podcast. And and thank you to our partners. And uh, and blessings.